Hello there. I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to all listeners of the CPHI Monthly Podcast. I'm Gareth Carpenter, farmer editor at Informer Markets, and in this month's session, we're going to take a look at what the industry is doing to tackle the very real problem of pharmaceuticals in the environment. Pharmaceuticals discarded in the environment pose a risk to fish and other wildlife, for example by affecting their ability to reproduce, by altering their behaviour in ways jeopardising their survival, or through direct toxic effects. Increased awareness has prompted further investigation, as well as calls and proposals for action to reduce emissions to the environment, in particular to water but also to soil. Meanwhile, incorrectly disposed medicines may also contribute to the serious problem of antimicrobial resistance. And I'm very pleased to say that I'm joined today by two experts in the field of pharmaceuticals in the environment and antimicrobial resistance. Firstly, we have Dr. Dan Caldwell, Toxicology Fellow at Johnson & Johnson. Dan has extensive experience in toxicology, environmental science, sustainability and risk assessment. He's a founding member of the NSF Water and Environmental Technology Centre at Temple University and has been conducting research on pharmaceuticals in the environment and AMR for over 10 years. And alongside him, we have Steve Brooks, who currently serves as an advisor to the Antimicrobial Resistance Industry Alliance and also chairs the manufacturing work group of that alliance. With many years of pharma industry experience in the UK and the US with Pfizer in roles of increasing complexity and responsibility, Steve is a recognised EHS leader in the pharma industry. Dan and Steve, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gareth. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Dan, if I could turn to you first. So when it comes to pharmaceutical products, they're widely seen as essential healthcare solutions. The lion's share of the public scrutiny focuses on their safety and their efficacy rather than the environmental impact they may have. What are the chief concerns at this moment in time regarding trace concentrations of pharmaceuticals getting into our environment? I mean, what kind of scale are we talking about? Well, I think the main concern for many people is the mere presence of these compounds. Most pharmaceuticals have been measured at part per billion or microgram per liter concentrations in water. You know, put that in perspective, one part per billion is about three seconds over a century, 100 years. You know, further, if we take ibuprofen as an example, the therapeutic dose is 200 milligram tablets. So if you take the two tablets, with a liter of water, the concentration is 400 milligrams per liter. Ibuprofen's been measured both in the U.S. and in Europe rivers at about 0.3 micrograms per liter. So that's approximately a million times below the therapeutic dose. So that's the scale we're looking at, very small concentrations. So why is it an issue then if, if we're talking about such tiny concentrations? Well, part of that deals with media coverage. And I know Steve can attest to this too. About a dozen years ago, in 2009 actually, in the US, the Associated Press ran a series of articles and many local newspapers picked these up and republished those. And they reported concentrations of a variety of pharmaceuticals out in rivers. More recently in Europe, there have been a series of papers, both on pharmaceuticals and also antibiotics, that have reported on concentrations measured in rivers. In both cases, what's lacking is the risk context. 
what these concentrations mean as far as human health, as far as environmental health. And I think the industry recognizes the concerns that a lot of these reports have generated and are doing a lot of things to address those. Steve? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a difficult topic to talk about with, you know, most people who only have the basic concept of what might be going on here. I mean, you know, trying to explain to, say, a family member that pharmaceuticals might be present in water courses. I mean, it doesn't sound right. Why should there be pharmaceuticals present in a local river? And worse still, if there's a concern about drinking water. It's very hard to get past that point. And as Dan says, the real issue is what is the concentration and what is the consequence of that concentration? But it's a very conceptually challenging discussion and debate to have. You know, we're using terms like micrograms per liter. And Dan's done a nice job giving some examples of what that might mean. But it is still very difficult when you're reading the newspaper, you see the headline, the take home messages drugs are in the drinking water. And that's very concerning to people. And of course, our job is to try to provide context and also to address the issue where we believe there are things that can be done to minimize concentrations of medicines that might find their way into water courses. I see. You mentioned the media. And one question I'd like to ask you is, do you feel that the media has over-amplified this issue over the last few years? And a second question to that, is the pharma industry actually prepared for increased media attention in this area in the future? If I could ask that to you first, Dan. Again, I'd go back to balance. It's one thing to report this presence of compounds, but I think a better a better approach to balance would assuage a lot of people's concerns. As far as industry preparedness, I would have to say that has become a more given constant over the last five years or so. I think several companies have been addressing this whole idea of pharmaceuticals in the environment for you know over a decade now. And more recently, as the industry brings together different resources, you know, predominantly the AMR Industry Alliance being one, we have more of a unified approach to the issue. And I think that's helped everybody, at least as far as extending the understanding of the underlying issues. Maybe I could chime in as well. At the end of the day, I think overall the, the media reports are, I would say, fair on balance. I mean, sure, individually, there might be the occasional article that seems a little bit unbalanced. But I think when you take it on the whole, the stories arise, you know, they pop up, but it's not sustained, you know, they pop back down again. And, and I think that gives you a level that recognizes where we stand with the situation. It's there. It's not going to be sustained headline news, but it's sufficient to remind us all that there are things that could be done, should be done, and in fact are being done to address the issue. So I, I, to be honest, I welcome the media coverage and I think it keeps us on our toes. And in terms of um, you know, the measurement of you know, these concentrations, this is an industry that prides itself on robust data. Is there enough transparency around this or is, is there enough data in itself or measures in place that give an accurate reading of um, concentrations of the impact of pharmaceuticals in the environment, uh, Dan? I would say for some pharmaceuticals, yes. And for others, 
probably not as much information as we would like to see. And I think that's understandable because as you look at compounds such as some hormones, they're present at much lower concentrations, yet they have been associated with some environmental impacts, particularly the ability of fish to reproduce in, in certain localized areas. Now, the issue there is at these very low concentrations, you need highly specialized analytical instrumentation just to be able to detect them. And then the other issue is when you look at manufacturing, a lot of products are produced in batches. It's not a continuous five-day-a-week, 52-weeks-a-year mm. sort of concentration. There are episodic peaks that are released, and other times there's nothing that's released. I mean, it's recognised that the vast majority of pharmaceuticals in the environment predominantly come from patient use and excretion into wastewater treatment plants. But you mentioned manufacturing, Dan. How much of an issue is the presence of, say, antibiotics and effluents from pharmaceutical manufacturing facilities? I think that relates back to the whole question of pharmaceuticals in general. When it comes to manufacturing, you know, the best estimates are a couple of percent, maybe 5% of the total out there for manufacturing. What a lot of the producers have started doing is limiting the amount of wastewater that's discharged to keep the concentrations of the various pharmaceuticals, including antibiotics, below what we call predicted no-effect concentration. And that helps ensure minimal impacts on the environment. I see. And how are governments addressing this issue? I mean, are we talking kind of industry self-regulation here or are governments starting to take the lead in terms of um, pharmaceuticals in the environment? Well, as far as regulating discharges, I am not aware of any regulatory limit anywhere in the world. Now, having said that, since about 2006, when we developed new pharmaceuticals and send those for marketing registration, there is a very stringent series of testing that's specified by the European Medicines Agency to grant authorization. You have to conduct an environmental risk assessment based on your expected concentrations and how that drug is going to interact in the humans and potentially in the environment. So in that regard, you know, for 15 years or so, new pharmaceuticals have been evaluated for potential environmental risks. Now, gentlemen, I could steer the conversation to a subset of pharmaceuticals in the RM, and that is antimicrobial resistance. Um, Steve, um, the World Health Organization has declared AMR as one of the top 10 global public health threats facing humanity, and it says it requires urgent multi-sectoral action to achieve the sustainable development goals. Could you first explain to us, you know, what exactly AMR is and, and what are the main causes of it and why it's so important? Sure. And if I remember, I'll, I'll, I'd like to pick up on something uh, Dan was, was alluding to in, in his discussions with you on the previous point. But first, AMR. Well, I'll try a simple definition. You may find many others in the literature, but basically antimicrobial resistance refers to the mutation of bacteria such that they develop resistance to the medicines that we use to treat infections. So you become ill with an infection that previously you, you could be treated for with you know, an antibiotic, 
but that antibiotic no longer works because of the development of resistance. I think people you know, are becoming familiar with the fact that microbes evolve. Uh, in fact, you know, people are talking about you know, COVID and uh, variants of COVID. And this is because, of course, the, mi- the microbe is evolving. So if you take a, you know, a, a bacteria, if it evolves in a way that it can fight off the uh, antibacterial agents, it can continue to survive and grow. And when that happens in, in a person, when they become ill, it's harder and harder to treat the infection. So that's antimicrobial resistance. It's a very significant health issue. It's, it's, it affects every country in the world, and it causes either prolonged illness while doctors try to find treatments that will work, and sadly, it causes deaths, many deaths. The estimates are something like 700,000 people a year dying from antimicrobial resistance. And doubtless, you've seen other numbers. There are projected estimates that would take that annual death toll much higher if AMR is not addressed. If I could go into sort of more specifics, if AMR does go unchecked, I mean, what is the real projected impact of this developing crisis? Well, it's very difficult to say. Various reports have, have cited much, much you know, higher numbers, but there's a lot of scenario considerations to sort of plug and play to, to determine the effect. But what will happen is that people's livelihoods could be affected. For example, if antimicrobial resistance affects animals as well as people, people who depend on animals for their subsistence, for example, their, basically their economic welfare could be severely affected. Global economies will be affected, GDP will be affected. So you can measure it in terms of human health. And again, as we've seen with the pandemic, the economic impact across the globe could be very, very significant, which is why you do have a lot of attention on this issue in particular with governments around the world. Mm, I see. On what Steve just mentioned, uh, there's been several estimates, I think, Probably one of the more reliable has been what's come out of the European Union. And they estimate that within a variety of countries, and I'll focus on the U.S., somewhere between 30,000 and 50,000 people die currently every year from resistant infections. And to put that number into context, that's about how many people die in automobile accidents in the U.S. in a given year. So we are quickly approaching a very significant public health concern. The AMR Alliance is, well, it's essentially the life science um, industry response to calls for action on AMR. Steve, what is the Alliance doing to, well, help minimise this risk of antibiotics getting into the environment? The Alliance was formed uh, in 2017 and in recognition of the growing global health crisis that we face, and uh, it, it's focused on four areas, and they are research and science. Where are new antibiotics coming from, and how are they being developed and advanced through the pipeline and into the marketplace? And there are many challenges there. And if you've, you know, people who read around the subject will know there is a dearth of new antibiotics coming into the marketplace, which is part of the challenge. We're focused on access, so that making sure that people have access to antibiotics. So it's still true to say that more people die from lack of access to antibiotics than from antimicrobial resistance. So, you know, there is not equitable access to antibiotics. Focus on appropriate use. 
So one of the concerns is that antibiotics may not be used appropriately. For example, they may be used to combat a viral infection, which would serve little purpose unless there was a secondary bacterial infection. So they're being used somewhat indiscriminately. In many countries, they can be used without a prescription. And then um, the final area that we have focused on is manufacturing. And this relates to the risk that the manufacturing process itself to make these, to be quite honest, you know, remarkable medicines that society needs, that very manufacturing process may be contributing to the development of antimicrobial resistance. Now, this is where I'd like to loop back to the earlier commentary from Dan. I'm glad you mentioned that. (laughs) The concern really is that in a manufacturing process, it is possible, if it's not well controlled, that you may release relatively speaking, high concentrations of antibiotics into the local environment. The main concern would be through the wastewater from the manufacturing plant. So whilst we will you know, often point to the fact that patient use and excretion is collectively the main source of antibiotics in the environment, and that concentrations are typically exceedingly low, it is fair, and the stakeholders and the media have highlighted examples of poor practice in the industry, especially in our extended supply chain of pharmaceutical pollution, where there is evidence that discharges from manufacturing factories may contaminate the local environment. Those discharges may contain, relatively speaking, high concentrations of antibiotics. Now, clearly, that is not right. And it's something that the industry and the alliance in particular is absolutely focused on ensuring does not happen. So I've always viewed this as an approach that's got two prongs to it. One, let's address the risk of any significant pollution through our supply chains by making sure we have good practices in place. And then number two, let's make sure that whatever is released is so low that it's below these predicted no effect concentrations, which are minuscule. So you'll never see that. A reporter will never be able to take a photograph of a waste stream and say, there's the concentration that exceeds the predicted no effect concentration. Look at it, because there's nothing to see. A reporter can see, obviously, contaminated wastewater that might exit a plant. You know, it just doesn't look right. So there's two prongs to to our approach in manufacturing. So to just cycle back, the Alliance is multifaceted. We have over 100 members diagnostic companies, biotech companies, generic manufacturers, and R&D innovative companies. And we are focused in the four areas that I mentioned. So manufacturing is a component of the overall work of the alliance. And it's obviously it's an area that um, I'm heavily involved in because that's my area of expertise and interest. It's it's good to hear that the uh, memberships of the AMR is growing, Steve. What would you say to those manufacturers of antibiotics who are not members of the Alliance? Um, Would you have any words to try and persuade them to join up or just any advice? Well, I hope they're listening, number one. (laughs) So uh, two things. For those companies that are market authorization holders that put antibiotics out into the marketplace, I would point them to our website. And that's just simply, if they Google AMR Industry Alliance, they will find our website and learn more about what we're doing. I would ask them to consider joining us. We, we welcome new members. We continue to have new members join us. So the more the merrier. If companies are suppliers 
you know, that supply antibiotic API or drug product to the market authorization holders, I would encourage those companies to visit the PSCI, Pharmaceutical Supply Chain Initiative website. PSCI are a wonderful organization. They provide an awful lot of material on their website, free of charge, can be viewed, downloaded, training material, information about auditing. And our supply chain can learn a lot through PSCI. So I would encourage suppliers, if they're not already members of PSCI, to really consider joining. Let's hope they are listening. With regard to uh, regulation, I mean, I've already asked Dan about, you know, any regulation for PIE in general. Um, Steve, is there any upcoming regulation from any governments around the world that would enforce discharge limits for antibiotics uh, in pharmaceutical waste? Well, if we'd had this conversation this time last year, the answer would have absolutely been yes. But in the intervening year, the answer's changed to no. But let me explain. So the Indian government's been under a lot of pressure. Again, many people will will, will know that there's a significant amount of antibiotic manufacturing in India. Many companies' supply chains include uh, India. And uh, there are, that's, this is, I would say, has been a, one of the main areas of concern around pollution in our supply chain. And the Indian government decided that it would introduce regulations to limit antibiotic discharges and put discharge limits on manufacturers. Those regulations were drafted and went to public consultation. And uh, the alliance commented on those regulations favorably. In fact, we support the concept of regulation as long as that regulation is scientifically sound. However, more recently, the Indian authorities have decided that they will not progress with these regulations. So that's why I say right now, the answer is no. What that allows me to say is this further underscores the importance of the work that the Alliance is doing in this space. So one of our key work projects at the moment is to take the standards we have developed that we call our antibiotic framework, our PNEX, predicted no effect concentrations for antibiotics, and to use those as the basis for the development of a consensus standard. So we are now working through the British Standards Institute, BSI, to develop a publicly available specification. So that's an industry-sponsored consensus standard, which we hope to publish by the end of this year. That standard will be developed and is being developed with stakeholders, including a number of people who have commented quite publicly about the issue of um, antibiotics in the environment. So we're working with our stakeholders in a consensus process to develop this standard publicly available specification. In addition, we are also developing with BSI a certification scheme. So the intent would be Eventually, there will be a consensus standard that companies can choose to certify their products against. And we believe in the long run, this is the way forward. This will give stakeholders the assurance that they're looking for that the antibiotics that are on the market are made in a way that minimizes the risk of antimicrobial resistance developing because of the manufacturing process. We believe that work is directionally correct. Should regulations develop in parallel, um, that's fine. Uh, We'll work with that as well. Um, And of course, if 
they don't develop or they take a long time to develop, the process that I've just described, we very much hope will be in place and will help guide not only the alliance members, but the wider supply chain to do the right thing and control emissions to levels that we truly believe are unlikely to cause antimicrobial resistance. Very well put, Steve. And uh, finally, gentlemen, I want to sort of throw in a bit of a devil's advocate question here. We've briefly mentioned the current COVID-19 pandemic and this grave effect it's had on our society. What I would like to ask you both is with so many governments, populations and organisations preoccupied with managing and getting through this public health crisis, is there any danger that issues such as AMR and pharmaceuticals in the environment might be deprioritized? If I could ask that to you first, Dan. Well, I would say probably not. I think if you take the swine flu pandemic, or not pandemic, the swine flu uh, incident, you know, a dozen or so years ago as an example, there was a uptick in the use of Tamiflu, which was prescribed to help prevent flu-like symptoms. And as that started being measured in water, it brought more attention to the whole issue of pharmaceuticals and the environment. So I think indirectly, the development of treatments now for COVID beyond the vaccines will probably have some media coverage going forward because they'll start detecting these compounds out in the environment. Steve, anything to add? Well, you know, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because, um, you know, there are, are reports that antibiotic use has escalated because people who have presented with COVID have been treated with antibiotics just as a precautionary measure, thereby increasing the use of antibiotics. And so with, you know, let's say overuse, you run the risk of increasing AMR. And then on the other hand, you have a less incidence of common illness like the flu, for example. So you're, you're um, and also less scheduled surgeries and things like that. So, so on, on balance, I don't think COVID will fundamentally affect how we look at antibiotic and, and antibiotics and antimicrobial resistance. And I think, as a result, the issue of pharmaceuticals in the environment, as well as AMR, will remain a key issue, a growing issue that garners attention from policymakers. And, and you've seen in the, you know, the EU, for example, the EU strategy for pharmaceuticals and their policy position around pharmaceuticals in the environment. It's very clear that the pharmaceuticals and the environment issue is a central issue. You know, my sense is there's a lot going on with COVID and correctly demands attention now. But I think nonetheless, the pharmaceuticals and the environment issue and the associated issues will remain a concern that will need to be addressed. I don't think this issue will dilute the focus. Okay, I understand. Dan and Steve, thanks very much for your time. Thank you for joining me here today and shedding light on these critical issues. That's all we've got time for today, folks. Thanks for listening to the CPHI podcast. And please do head to cphi-online.com for lots more news, features and analysis on the latest developments impacting global pharmaceutical supply chains. 
Our next podcast in the series will be coming to you very soon. In the meantime, goodbye and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.